guys, Danita Platt here with Platt Family, and this is our podcast, School in the Wild. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today, guys. We This is a recap number two. Uh, in this podcast, I am reading the Charlotte Mason Home Education se- uh, volume series, volume one. Um, we are a homeschooling family. We use Charlotte Mason method, and we're homeschooling now a ninth grader and an eighth grade, uh, both boys, and um, we're having a ball. So we are recapping Charlotte Mason and the last reading that I did for Charlotte Mason. So in the first recap, it's basically, we're talking about Charlotte's position um, as it pertains to how do we approach education? How do we approach, like, where are we coming from generally? Very, very broad, very, very generally about education essentially she tells us that we have to springboard from somewhere right and uh, we talked about how um, God's original idea um, God's original source uh, is where we springboard from that we're made in the image and likeness of God and that education really does really is a part of that process of our image and our likeness and essentially that because our purpose is to expand the culture that we were created for and created within um, and we do that by ex- executing our God-given potential, right? We execute that to the max. That's why we're educating our kids. We're educating them to be able to execute their potential within the environment they were created for and the environment they were created in. Um, we're not educating them for the purpose of just working, paying bills, and, and calling it a day. <laughs> Uh, we also went over Charlotte's 18 to 20 some our principles, which are really, really good. So please go back and listen to um, recap. Go back and listen to the recap for that because that was really, really good. We really enjoyed that. So here is where we are now. We are right here at part one of the home education series. And we are recapping the section called some preliminary considerations. Um, and we're going to take that all the way forward through a method of education. And we'll stop there. We'll be stopping this recap right at the children's estate. So where Charlotte starts here in some preliminary considerations, we want to talk about this statement that children are a public trust. If you have listened to anything in Charlotte Mason, and certainly I had this experience when I first started listening to a delectable education and reading um, reading Charlotte Mason books and, and, and listening to podcasts and articles and principles, you're going to run across this statement, children are a public trust. That is something that Charlotte talked about extensively and people talk about extensively. In the book, she says, uh, now that now that work, which is of most importance to society, is the bringing up and instruction of children. In the school, certainly, but far more in the home because it is more than anything else. It is, it is more than anything else. The home influences brought to bear upon the child that determine the character and career of the future man. So essentially she's just saying that home is the greatest influence. Mom and dad, where the child lives, that home environment is the greatest influence. Um, she goes on to say that the children are in truth to be, to be regarded less as personal property than as public trusts put into the hands of parents that they may make the very most of them for the good of society. And this is Charlotte's way of just talking about stewardship. She's talking um, talking about how we handle our children, that we don't have absolute authority over our children's lives. And we don't have that because, this is pointing back to the first recap, 
because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And so when God gave us our mandate in Genesis, the mandate was that we have dominion over the earth, but not dominion over people. So we have dominion um, uh, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that creeps on the ground. We have dominion over those things. Um, but we do not, people were not listed there. So when we look at stewardship, we've been given dominion over resources and with the expectation that we will innovate, develop and create those resources in the spirit and likeness of God, whose likeness and image we've been made in, um, and that our relationships to one another and to the resources is that of stewardship. So we don't have absolute authority over our children. We have stewardship. Um, that's why when someone says, you know, you better such and such and such, you know, as kids, you know, as adults, anytime we're like, hold on, I bet, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what were you saying? I better what now? <laughs> um, because we automatically respond to um, to being dominated. We respond in a way that says this is not right, and I don't want I don't want that. Um, and so stewardship is what we have with our kids. We do not have absolute authority. They're given to us to care for and to raise as kingdom citizens. And so we are uh, engaging with them as a public trust, as a place where. Um, where we steward over them. It, um, she goes on to say, it is upon the mothers of the present that the future of the world depends in even a greater degree than upon the fathers because it is the mothers who have the sole direction of the children's early, most impress- impressible years. Um, so obviously this was written back in 18 something or another. Don't don't quote me on that there year because I can't, can't let you quote me because I can't give you a number. Um, But when this was written, obviously Charlotte is talking about the fact that women were just really coming into the workforce. And she talks about that in the beginning part of the book. Um, So here's, I think this is really has more to do with time than it has to do with her saying mothers specifically. Um, Mothers specifically are the ones. Now, with that said, um, I do believe that as mothers, we have a very specific and unique set of God's expression that fathers do not have. Fathers have a very unique um, set of of God expression that mothers do not have. And so children really do need, they need the God expression that comes through their father and they need the the God expression that comes through their mother. I also believe that that expression can be given to any child who comes into the presence of someone who has developed their motherhood and their fatherhood. And so I think here Charlotte is essentially saying that um, that the future world depends on those women who have embraced their motherhood and are mothering the children who come into their lives, um, that, that, that there's a whole lot of responsibility that comes with that. So um, I think that's what, what Charlotte's getting. I think that's how we look at that, you know, here in, in 2018. Um, I'm adopted, so I, um, I, this is one of the things where I'm really grateful to God that I have that experience because I, I don't have to shy away from it. I'm very much in tune to the idea of family is as family does, not as, as you're born into. And so, um, you know, I, I try my best to 
at the permission of the children in my life mother them when they're in my presence um yeah so um she also says that um, we do not need to make the gravest duty to um to we do not need to give over this duty to indifferent indifferent caregivers in different persons and I think there she's just saying um I think it's just again about that developed motherhood you don't want to give over the care of your plants to people who have not taken the time to develop a green thumb you don't want to give over the care of your animals to people who have not taken the time to develop um, a love for animals and a desire to care for them and I think that's just all she's saying there um, mothers owe a thinking love. So I love this statement. Mothers owe a thinking love. The mother is qualified, says Pestalozzi, and guaranteed by the creator himself to become the principal agent in the development of her child. So essentially, God has put in us everything that we need to execute our duties and our responsibilities. And what is demanded of her is a thinking love. So that's just not just a love because I love you, but that's a love uh, that has a means to an end. That's a love that sees that there's more to this than maybe meets the eye. And she's thinking about she's thinking about the faculties and and the end of this child. So it goes on to say, God has given to the child all the faculties of our nature, but the grand point remains undecided. How shall this heart, this head, these hands be employed? To whose service shall they be dedicated? And I, I just think that this thinking love embraces those tough questions. And it also sets out to answer those questions with uh, forethought and to answer those tough questions with planning. Um, that the maternal love is the first agent in education. So again, this thinking love is just um, who is this child uh, going to be that God sent them into our lives and into our care and into our stewardship. He did that um, with that child's makeup in mind, with our makeup in mind. And um, we have to ask those tough questions and love them with those with those um, questions and, and ideas in mind. Right. So this last section here. Um, under preliminary consideration she says and they will take it up as their profession that is with the diligence regularity uh, and they will take it up as their profession that is with the diligence regularity and punctuality which men bestow on their professional labor so essentially she's just saying that education that when we set out to do this that when mothers set out to do this or whoever is the primary caregiver and the primary educator of the child that we have to do this as a profession and not as an afterthought, um, which I think is a really, really good point. Something I really, I try to take to heart. So here we are, the next section, the training of children dreadfully defective. So here we're going, we are going to hear from Herbert Spencer, who Charlotte Mason quotes in this section. And Herbert Spencer says that, what is to be expected when one of the most intricate of problems is undertaken by those who have scarcely a thought to the principle on which its solution depends? Uh, uh, look, I, I, only, I mean, wow. Essentially, he's saying, what can we expect to happen when the thing that you set out to do, you haven't really taken the time to get it done? And here, um, Mr. Mr. Herbert 
is really talking about leadership. Um, because everyone is born a leader in an area of gifting and in an interest, in an area of interest. Um, God didn't create us, create some people to be leaders. Oh, you're a natural born leader. Oh, this person is just naturally, um, naturally going to just uh, be one of those people who you know, is going to get the superlative for being, um, what is it, the most likely to succeed, the most likely to be, you know, to be a boss, to be a CEO, something like that. Um that's not God's design. God's design is that because we are not we are not uh, designed to dominate one another, we're designed to dominate resources, and by that I mean stewardship, uh, development, innovation, responsible innovation. Then leadership is really not over one another. Leadership is in that area of gifting that you innovate resources regarding, right? So when we skillfully create something using our talents and our interests, we have developed, using the talents and interests we've developed, then we are actually providing leadership in an area, not leadership over people. Um, Parenting is no different. When we choose to procreate, we've got to take a second, he's saying here, we have to acknowledge and accept that we're signing up for leadership. When you create something, you're leading. Um, so we have to sharpen our skills. We have to you know, not make excuses and we have to lead um, in the area of parenting. So um, we don't lead as taskmasters. We don't lead trying to lord over and rule over our children. Um, we lead by being skillful, skillful creators and developing the skill of educating, developing the skill of parenting. We provide leadership in the area of parenting and modeling this steadfast years-long perseverance in developing this person helping this person to develop rather into the expression that God's put them on the earth and I had such an interesting thought about this so whenever you buy something you get um, and I got this analogy from our spiritual our spiritual um, mentors uh, Dr. Ruth and Miles Moreau so whenever you buy something when you purchase it, it comes with an instruction manual. It comes with a guarantee and a warranty from whoever produced it, whoever created it, right? Um, and I thought, man, you know, that guarantee says this is what we can guarantee for you. It guarantees A, B, C, X, Y, Z, right? Here's your guarantee. And I also guarantee that if something happens, I will give you a warranty that allows you to return the product back to the manufacturer and have the product either fixed or replaced, right? And in order to keep the guarantee and the warranty in place, I need you to follow the instruction manual. If you decide to take your blow dryer and cut the grass, attempt to cut the grass with it, and you mess it up and it stops working, then you have um, nullified the warranty and the guarantee because you're using the product in a way that the instruction manual did not indicate. So what if the world expected us to provide it with young adults who have an instruction manual, a guarantee, and a warranty. What if the world said, if you send a young adult out here into us, out here to us, who does not understand their God-given purpose, their God-given potential, their God-given destiny, who does not have any clue what problem they're on the planet to solve. They have no instruction manual. They have no clue. And they also have no ability to function 
within the larger world, I'm going to have to send them back and you're going to have to make that right and we're going to try it again. Wouldn't that be wild? But that's so interesting if you think about think about our responsibility as leaders. We have a responsibility to parent, educate, and raise children responsibly. Like that's huge and there's, there's a whole, whole, whole lot with that. Um, and I think that think that in general parents really desire to raise children who are ready for the world right ready to move forward in the world so amen um so later on she says better sacrifice accomplishments than omit this all essential instruction which I think I think uh I think that to be very interesting I remember when I first had the boys when I first had Gabriel our oldest oh gosh I remember this like it was yesterday he must have been two or three months old and God said to me um, you may not, I was just, I just felt this in my heart. I'm not saying I heard an audible voice, but I felt this in my heart that I could not hide out in motherhood. That I could not say, well, all of this, that, and the third that I had in my heart to do, that I wanted to do, you know, for God, for the world. I'm no longer going to do that because I'm a mother. He said, you'll do it through motherhood. And it was it was so interesting. I can't hide out in motherhood. I have to do it through motherhood. So essentially, Charlotte is saying to sacrifice some accomplishments um, that would happen ex- ex- externally from motherhood and accomplish those those things through motherhood. So um, she goes on to say, here are the indisputable facts that the development of children in mind and body follows certain laws that unless these laws are in some degree conformed to by parents, death is inevitable. That unless they are in great degree conformed to, and that only when they are completely conformed to, can a perfect maturity be reached. Um, and there's a whole lot to think about in regards to that, right? I think there is. Um, so when we're talking about about um, how parents usually proceed, this is the next section. And I find this interesting because I thought this. I thought this initially with my children that parents usually proceed, and I did, that children are an unwritten tablet. You know, they're a vase to be filled, they're a vessel to fill up, there's a blank tablet to be written on. Um, and that, you know, we have to very diligently do that. But when you really look at God's original intent in Genesis, that's not really in keeping with God's original intent because He He already wrote on the tablet. And what He wrote on the tablet is you are made in my image and in my likeness. So I don't get to write over top of that, right? I don't expect for someone to come along and try to write over top of who God made me to be. And I should not do that to my children. I'm gonna just write over top of who God made you to be. No, he sent He sent each of us here um, with a unique, special, beautiful, wonderful, you know, uh, fragrant, awesome design. And that design is what we should be encouraged to to live by and to produce it and to put out there not whatever our parents decide they're going to do and it's very interesting because a lot of times and Charlotte goes on to talk about this um a lot of times when we take that approach then we kind of write as long as we can and then once the child starts to show some prerogative then it's kind of like well I'll back off a little bit and I'll continue to parent and care for and do all of this that and the third but I'll no longer take this approach of trying to write on the tablet because obviously it's not something that can actually be done. Um, so she goes on to say that 
many times what happens is the children just kind of grow. They kind of just go on on their own way. Um, and in some degrees, that's not a problem. She calls it masterly inactivity. That that means the children are learning the world around them. They're learning to play. They're learning to, to do certain things. And this masterly inactivity where children should be given the space to do that, um, to spread their wings and kind of figure out the world around them um, so far as it goes. But she also says it is well he should not grow. It is well he should be let grow and help to grow according to his nature. And so long as the parents don't do not um, step in to spoil much good and no very evident harm comes from just letting him alone, this masterly inactivity. But this philosophy of let him be while it covers a part does not cover the serious part of the parent's calling. Does not does not touch the strenuous, incessant efforts upon lines of law which go to the producing of a human being at his best. And so she's basically saying that we as parents have to develop our skills because there's more to it than just than just the masterly inactivity, though it is necessary. And that the children are property of the nation to be brought up for the nation as is best for the nation, not according to the whim of individual parents. And that's so interesting because this points back to one of her principles where she says that um, that children should not be, that they're, they are born persons and that their personhood should not be encroached upon. And when you think about it, um, here she's talking about the individual whim of parents that it wouldn't be right for you as a parent who's a human to uh, be able to just move forward with your individual whim and the child be brought up to move forward only about his individual whim. But if each person is brought up to move forward in their individual whims, then we don't have a collective a collective good. Um, it is important that each person be a unique, whole, individual person. That is that's necessary and important. We're not talking about codependency or any of that nonsense. Um, but it is important that the balance of that independent, individual piece is um, is part of the whole, and as as is more important actually than the whole. That you're able to stand within your own individualism with an, with an interest and an eye toward and a commitment toward the whole. That is, that is this aspect of the children being part of the National Trust. So I'm going to stop here um, because this got a, a little bit longer than I expected it to. And the next part of method of education, which is traditional methods of education and their systems, that is a mouthful. So I'm going to stop here on the recap and I'll come back for recap B of this on um, this first reading please go back and listen to the first reading. Please give me your thoughts. I'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to email me at DanitaPlatt at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to you guys. Okay, have an awesome, awesome, awesome day. And we'll talk with you.